0: to Episode 9 of the Thunder Sports Report. I'm Rusty Lindsay. Thanks for joining us this week. As always, you can find the Thunder Sports Report on major podcast playlists, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Podbean website. Make sure to subscribe. And if you had feedback or guest suggestions for the Thunder Sports Report, you can shoot us an email at WTSN at Wheaton.edu. We'd love to hear your feedback and any suggestions you may have for guests. Again, that's WTSN. At Wheaton.edu. This week's guest is head wrestling coach Jim Grunwald. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Jim's story, Jim participated collegiately at Maranatha Baptist Bible College and then went on to a superb international career, including a pair of Olympic performances in 2000 and 2004, before joining uh, as the head coach of the Thunder program in 2009. So, our guest on this week's podcast. Jim Grunewald. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us here on the Thunder Sports Report. Let's let's start it at the beginning for you. Uh, you started your your career at Maranatha Baptist Bible College um, and then obviously made your way to the Olympics. So let me start by asking you about how you ended up, first of all, at Maranatha and uh, and kind of how one goes from a, a small Bible college to the Olympic stage.
1: Yeah, Rusty, that's a great question. Um, so I... My, neither of my parents went to college. Uh, we were a part of a very, uh, what's the, what's the best way to describe it? maybe an uh, extra biblical, independent, fundamental, Bible believing Baptist church, uh, whose pastor, uh, strongly encouraged me to go to Maranatha. Um, and having parents who had no college experience, uh, and no real direction there and me, I, uh, me kind of, not knowing the landscape of D1 athletics, I mean, I'd been approached by University of Wisconsin Madison and by a couple of D1, uh, D2 schools, and and by West Point. Um, but again, heading no real direction and being a, you know, the church being a huge influence in my life, I ended up at Maranatha, which, you know, looking back at it, was probably outside of accepting Christ as my Savior, was the second best decision I ever made in life. So here I am at this tiny little you know a Baptist Bible College whose coach happens to be you know former Olymp- you know uh, Olympic champion Ben Peterson so it's not like there wasn't a draw there um he obviously knew wrestling and had been a, a, a supremely successful and was probably one of the icons of of Christian wrestling and Christian sport so uh, you know going there you know gave me a great opportunity to number 1 be mentored and guided by somebody who you know, understood wrestling but even more so understood stood Christianity and was able to kind of limit my my personality my my tendency to make bad choices um and then from there uh because again he always he always pushed me right well, I didn't just do non NCAA things he took us to tournaments that that stretched me and that's one of the reasons I ended up at the midlands and ended up being a five-time midlands place winner um from that, it was just in my mind, it was something that wrestling was something that God wanted me to do. I saw the ministry that Ben had, and I wanted to have a similar ministry. And so, basically, what I I, I just started looking for opportunities, and one of the opportunities happened to be a brand new program starting out at the Colorado Springs Olympic Training Center, which which um, uh which was starting their inaugural. Uh, Greco-Roman training so at that point the training was all done with clubs there was no there was no central hub for Greco training and a former Maranatha grad Mike Hauck, who's was also America's first um, world champion in 1985 was the national teams coach so I had a little bit of an in but I didn't have any real credentials uh, and so I started jumping into some summer tournaments ended up taking third at the University Nationals and winning the US Olympic Festival, which took the top four from the from the university Nationals and had them wrestle off. And I won that. And having won that, um, that allowed me to have the credentials that I needed to be accepted into the residency program at the United States Olympic tra- uh, Training Center. So that's how I got from Maranatha to the uh, to the Olympic stage.
0: You obviously mentioned having uh, somebody who is kind of a big presence in the wrestling community as your collegiate coach. What has Ben Peterson's influence been on you? And uh, and what are, what are some of the – you mentioned a couple of names, but can you expand on a couple other people who may have influenced you along the way as you made, made your path up to the Olympics?
1: You know, obviously you mentioned Ben Peterson and his influence. And honestly, I wouldn't be the man that I am today, the husband, the father, the wrestler. The coach uh, that I am, uh, if not for the influence of Ben Peterson, he was—he uh, was one of those parts of your life that is so that is so life-forming that without it, uh, I, I, I can't picture—I uh, can't picture my life without him in it. Um, there was other people, obviously, who had uh, maybe not as great of an influence on me, but still, uh, you know, helped make me, uh, you know, transition from being a boy to a man, and an Olympic wrestler. Mike Houck, who was our national teams coach when I came in uh, at, into the Olympic Training Center, Who, again, as I mentioned earlier, was a Maranatha grad and, and our first world champion. He, ob- he obviously had an impact on me. Steve Frazier, you know, had a great impact on me and just teaching toughness and putting us in some pretty nasty situations that helped me learn how to deal with the dark place and learning to be a light in the dark place. Anatoly Petrosian, was great in his teaching me just the fundamental skills of Breco. Romir Petkovic was kind of the guy that put the toughness and the wrestling skills together, and he was also an Olympic champ uh, for Yugoslavia in 1976. Um, so these are, you know, the kind of the, the, the men that built into me and helped me make that jump from Maranatha to Olympic Training Center to actually being in a, on an Olympic team, because there's a lot of people that go through Olympic Training Centers that don't make teams.
0: Yeah, you got the opportunity to experience the Olympics in 2000 and 2004. So what was it like to to wear the stars and stripes on the national stage and and get to experience something that only a handful of people in in their life will ever get to experience?
1: Yeah, so oh man, the Olympics was amazing. Um obviously my my results were amazing, but just the experience in and of itself, uh it was, you know, you you realize the responsibility that you have, that you're representing something greater than yourself, and it's tangible, right? Uh, As a Christian, you realize that you represent more than yourself because of God, but a lot of times, you know, we can't put our hands on God. We don't, you know, we don't walk hand in hand with him, even though we have his word, you know, going to the Olympics and competing there. That's something that, you know, I could touch, I could feel, I could experience on a really deep level. And that's not to say that I don't have a deep relationship with God. I do, but there's that there's there, there's a difference between abstract and there's a difference between concrete and just going there and having the opportunity
0: to represent our country was an amazing experience. Is there any part of those two games, especially because the 2000 games were unique in that it was the return to Athens, but or excuse me, the 2004 games. But was there anything that really stood out about those about either of those two experiences other than just getting to be able to to represent your country on the mat?
1: So, I mean, the, the, the things that stand out for me most are, are what happened on the mat. I mean, Sydney was a great country, um, and Athens, obviously, you know, is where, it's, where it all started with both the ancient and the modern Olympics, and so that in and of itself has a certain, you know, poignancy, but, but, the, but uh, the, this, having it be the first time in Sydney, where people speak the same language. It was an affluent country. It was just one of the, it was, it, they just made it, they they made, they made it great for everybody involved. At least that's, that's what I felt. They just, they were so welcoming. Athens, it's not to say that Athens wasn't welcoming and it has the history there, but the the country just was not as prepared. And there, I know beforehand there was even some talk of it getting moved back to Australia, uh, to Sydney, because Athens just wasn't getting it together. And they ended up finishing strong and they got it together it was never felt 100 percent complete uh but you know what you know when you're walking around the ancient ruins and you know it it, i i guess it kind of made a little bit of sense
0: you then you get to finish your career as a national champion but but that quest for the 2008 games uh ends with an injury can you talk about then the the uh transition from having an unfortunate end to your career to how that then turned into a coaching career
1: yeah, so a lot of times, I mean, it was pretty simple. I, I I was I was a athlete slash coach at an Olympic Education Center. So I moved from Colorado Springs up to Northern Michigan University, and was under you know the coaching of Ivan Ivanov, who had been a, a friend, um, a training partner, uh, a little bit of a mentor, and now a boss, or at least a coworker. You know, depending on how you want to define the relationship. But he was the head coach. I was the assistant coach, and. You know, the whole time I'm there, I'm training just as hard as the athletes. And so I did make a run at 2008, won the national tournament. And then my humeral head decided to drop down into my armpit for the second time. So I had my second shoulder surgery, which, you know, I don't wish on anybody. And then you start looking and, you know, there are certain things, especially when I was in my mid to late 30s, I was driven by pain in a lot of ways. I was driven by the pain of not meeting the expectations that I had of being a World Olympic champ or at the very least a world olympic medalist and having gotten so close and yet having the injuries on two different occasions keep me from being able to maximize what i thought were was my potential um but with that being said uh that leads you to realizing okay your body's just not able to do this at this level anymore so let's let's take this and go go the coaching routine which you know, I enjoyed building into people, you know, even doing it as an athlete slash coach. Now I could kind of fully, uh, throw myself into being a coach. Uh, and, and right when I was just about to, to do that at the, at the Olympic Education Center, I get a call from some Wheaton alumni saying, Hey, we'd love for you to uh, look at Wheaton College and potentially start coaching here, which, We did. My wife and I prayed about it and we ended up here at Wheaton and people thought I'd lost my mind because here I am not only, you know, just finishing my own Olympic career, you know, but we as a developmental program, were actually putting people on world Olympic teams, which, you know, wasn't expected. And then not only were we putting people on world Olympic teams, they were meddling at the senior level, developmental guys. And so here I am leaving that to go teach, you know, to go coach at Wheaton College, which at the time had seven guys in the team. And was a d3 program and was a d3 program that was probably 88th out of 89 of the d3 wrestling schools um so yeah it uh i didn't lose my mind by the way it was just that god was leading me in this direction
0: yeah let me let me ask you about the process then both in in making that sharp turn but then how do you attack building up a program that obviously had had success before we has had national champions and and but had had kind of sunk down, like you said, only seven guys. So, how do you go about then attacking that and rebuilding a program and culture that that you want to instill, but also doing that for the first time as a head coach and having that be your room?
1: Yeah, it's great, bunch of great questions there. So, part of it is this number one here I am now as a head coach instead of assistant coach. Now, one of the benefits of working with Ivan um, was that you know, he was uh, a Bulgarian, uh, he was from Bulgaria, and so. I did a lot of the head coaching responsibilities at the US o- OEC, and so I did have some experience, even though it was as an assistant coach. So the transition wasn't wasn't too traumatic, although I will say when I got here there wasn't there, there wasn't a huge amount of direction on how to lead the program. But you know one of the things that I that I learned along the way is that number one, as an athlete or as a coach, you have to set certain standards. And you have to be guided by your standards, because if you just go with your goals, you'll sell your soul to make your goals. And so I wanted to be guided by my standards, which means I just prayed and I prayed and asked God for a vision for the program. And I sat down and I wrote a list of seven things that needed to happen for Wheaton Wrestling to regain and maybe even eclipse, you know, some of the great moments that it did have historically, because we have had six national champs. we've had you know, multiple All-Americans in one year. And so this is something that I that drove me. And so instead of being driven by pain now, I was driven by this vision that I feel God laid on my heart to build up this Wheaton wrestling program. And so I wrote down that list of seven things which involved, you know, improving the room, improving the size of the team, improving the quality of the athletes in the team, you know, uh, looking at eventually getting, you know, our own space, which we did, and then of course improving upon the space, and of course one of the last things that is on my list of you know seven things to do is to try to you know bring in a full time uh, head assistant coach, which you know whether the college brings that on as a position or we endow the program, you know that's that's like the last thing on my list of things to do, other than obviously you know have Wheaton become a national championship team, um, and the things that I need to finish for this program.
0: How does the how does the profile of of recruiting change then as you go about probably starting by campus to campus for anybody that that's already here and wants to just join the team, but to to as the team grows and then you're looking for nationally competitive wrestlers. How does that process change for you?
1: Yeah, so initially, I, you know, I was. You know, I would, you know, a recruit would come in and I tried recruiting him and his dad who wrestled and was wondering if he had any eligibility. <laughs> so you're kind of desperate and you're looking for anybody who's even, you know, I'd be in the weight room. I'd see someone who's just physically fit, and I'm like, hey, you ever wrestled before? You know, and I watched my college coach do that because Maranatha was such a small school. Um, and because it was such a niche school, it was hard to find. And Wheaton doesn't experience that to the same degree because honestly, Wheaton's, you know, five times bigger than Maranatha. But in some ways, Maranatha, as well as Wheaton, are not just regional schools i mean they're national schools and so you know i start the process through four five six different online recruiting um uh re, you know the e-recruiting that you can do through like the ncsa or through be recruited or captain you or, or some of the ones that i use and so you cast this really broad net and you send out 400 emails and then of course then you're gonna have people who are gonna look up for wrestling and christian colleges and they're gonna fill out your recruit form Uh, you know, in the end, you're talking to 100 kids and you're hoping to get 20 kids on campus. And of that 20 kids, I'm hoping to get 10 to commit to the college. And so that's how, you know, that's how it starts. And, you know, Lord willing, you know, most years we get anywhere from six to 12 uh, to 12 kids uh, that start their freshman year as a Wheaton College Thunder athlete.
0: You've you've laid out a mantra for your program as you've built it that uh, Jesus Christ is life and the rest is just wrestling. Can you Kind of expound on that and tell, and kind of just tell our listeners how that came to be uh, the the mantra for your program and and what really represents you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's the you know you want to be branded and you want to be branded in a good way. And that started off years ago. A buddy of mine, Tony Salingo, was at a wrestling tournament, saw a T-shirt that said "Wrestling is life." He's like, "Oh, cool shirt!" But then he thought, "You know what? That's from a Christian worldview. That's not true. Jesus Christ is life. The rest is just wrestling." And so he decided to make his shirt. So he started with it, and he used the, uh, uh, the verses, John 14, 6, where, where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When I came to Wheat and I really like that. Now that I'm Christ, uh, coaching in a Christian environment, I asked him, hey, can I use that? And he said, yeah. I said, but I want to change the verse. I think there's something out there that's better for wrestling. And I came across Philippians 121 and the you know the, the, the following verses that talk about you know for me to live is christ but to die is gain and then talk about how paul struggled with wanting to die paul wanted to die and be in heaven with christ but the greater need was to mentor the philippian believers and of course the believers in other churches uh that he traveled to and so here you have jesus christ's life the rest is just wrestling which honestly has very little to do with the actual wrestling that we do on the mat and that's why you see you know, women's volleyball, women's basketball, men's football, you've got non-athletes wearing the Wheaton team shirt around campus, and you've got people who aren't even associated with Wheaton wearing our team shirt, or who aren't even wrestlers wearing our team shirt, because they realize that The idea of Jesus Christ's life, the rest is just wrestling, is far greater than just what we do on the mat. It's about wrestling with your sin nature. It's about wrestling with the world and kind of the distractions that it has to tear you down and keep you from maximizing your talents and ability, the gifts that God's given you as a believer or even just as a person. And then, of course, lastly, wrestling with life, because sometimes life just sucks and bad things happen. But when we cling to the cross and we throw our hope on Christ and that relationship that we have uh, with God through Christ, you know, we can win that wrestling match. And so that's the, that's how it started and where it is right now, you know, for the Wheaton wrestling program. In fact, you know, Mike Swider, you know, uh, you know, icon of Wheaton sports, probably one of the most notable figure in Wheaton athletics in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, was like, Grunwald, you're taking over the campus. And I'm like, well, it, <laughs> yes and no. You know, I'm taking over the campus for Jesus Christ, which is something that, you know, even a place like Wheaton, um, it needs. It's it's a message that is foundational to our Christian faith.
0: In those, in those early years, as you build this program up, how important was it the relationships you had with a couple of the more recent coaches with, with Seth Snorton and, and Pete Wilson and the other members of the Wheaton wrestling community? Who, who reached out and kind of helped guide, probably guide and, and encourage you through those early years as the program gets built into what you have it uh, today.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's always a wise thing to do, you know, w- with many counselors. And so having somebody like Pete Wilson, who was still around, you know, help me navigate, especially the, 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 the waters of alumni relations, because you've got four or five different groups of alumni out there who all think the program, they want the program to grow, but they all think, you know, the program needs to go their way. And Pete really helped me navigate those waters. That was, that was uh, uh, I mean, he, he met with me periodically and he helped me, especially in the beginning, run the Pete Wilson Wrestling Invite as far as staffing the event. And so that was huge. Seth Norton, you know, also helped me navigate. He would uh, meet with me periodically for lunch and we still do that to this day. Just to ask me how I'm doing and just kind of share with me some of the struggles that he had as a coach and then helped me to kind of avoid some of those same struggles. And it was beyond even um, that, uh, you know, just the wrestling community. It was also others like Mike Swider, who had been around Wheaton and helped me. And then it was also Mike Shower, the basketball coach, right? Normally you've got this animosity between wrestling and basketball, whether it's real or perceived. But Mike came on at the same time I did, and we developed this really cool friendship where, you know, I would be in his office or in Swider's office just sitting down and looking for advice, especially now that Pete's gone and, you know, Seth is, you know, is still a full-time econ professor and I don't have access to him, you know, as, as closely as I do with, you know, Shower, who's, you know, whose office is just right down the hall or, or Swider, whose office is right down the hall. So it was neat to see how the athletic department, not just the wrestling community, the wrestling coaches, it was the athletic department that really came on board and helped me, to, you know, build
0: this program. You mentioned the Pete Wilson Invitational. I'd you remiss to not bring up the oldest uh, small school tournament in the country, but as you've kind of built that even up to the, its largest number of teams that we had in its last running, uh, is it's a unique way to, to bring your alumni together, but, but also a, a challenge in that it's a nationally, kind of the, a circle-the-date kind of tournament. So as, how have you kind of approached building the Wilson As from what you took on uh, w- when you came on? And how unique is it for you to get to run that tournament having won it as a student athlete?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, you you look at something and you can either just settle for the status quo or you can always look for ways to improve it. And so year by year, what we've done is we've made small adjustments to the tournament, which sometimes it's just a different perspective, right? You've got people who are in some things, you know, the expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. Well, sometimes that that you, you get settled into how things are done. They're always done that way. And I'm not saying that they were done poorly. It's just that I think that if you want to grow, you always are looking to learn and learn and you're looking to improve things. And so, you know, I would reach out to coaches as as the tournament's going on. Hey, what would you like to see? What are some things that we can do to improve the experience? And then, you know, there's a Pete Wilson wrestling committee that we run every year that, you know, yeah, that yeah, I know at times you've been involved in. Brett marhanka has been involved involved in both our athletic director, uh, you know Julie Davis and the, her assistant Bill Stukes, and even athletic training where you've got all these minds and we sit together and we just kind of bounce ideas and we come up with a better product. Now in the end I'm responsible for it, but you know it's wise to take advice or to seek counsel and we've grown it and so I listen to the coaches and I listen to the people that help me and. Obviously, it's something that I can't do alone, but we've made the tournament better. So, you know, it grew from a tournament that, you know, that was that was in the mid-20s to now we, you know, we've had as many as 38 schools, which I learned was a bad idea. And so we <laughs> cut it back to 34 schools, which is a little bit more manageable. Um, you know, it's a D3-only tournament, and, and it's a tournament that, yes, has been running since 1938. So not only is it the longest-running small school tournament, but it's the second-longest-running tournament in U.S. wrestling history other than the NCAA Division I tournament. So you want to talk about being, you know, in, in good company. That's it. You know, people talk about the Midlands. Well, that's only been going for 50-some years. I said the Midlands is our grandchild as far as I'm concerned. It's a great <laughs> tournament. but uh, And then the other part that you mentioned, it it's neat to be a part of something that you also competed in. And it's one of the reasons that you see it even now. The majority of the coaches that bring their colleges to the Pete Wilson I'll ask hey let's see a hand let's see show me a show me by you know your raised hand how many of you competed in this tournament you know two-thirds of the co- of the coaches there will raise their hand sometimes it's three quarters I mean what what a testimony to our tournament that they loved it so much that now they're bringing their teams back in fact some coaches come up and tell me this is my favorite tournament of the whole year and that includes the national tournament that speaks volumes to how well run our tournament is, and just what a class act it is, and just just the, the countless hours that not you know. Not, I don't even want to make it about myself. I'm just one of the variables in the the greater equation of
0: that Pete Wilson Wheaton wrestling event. So Jim, what do you see as the next step for for Wheaton wrestling then, as you continue to push forward, and what do you see being the next the next step for the program to take?
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously we won a conference title, you know, uh, back in 2015, which is something that hadn't been done in, you know, over 30 years. And it was something that we were actually really close in doing three years in a row. But, you know, things happen, mistakes are made, and you miss opportunities and moments. So obviously is to win another conference title, you know, and not wait 30 years to do it. And also we need to win, you know, the Upper Midwest Regional. And obviously we need to win the national, the national tournament. And on a smaller scale, I'd like to have an individual national champion. We were so close with Carlos Guentes; He was a point away. And, you know, it was, uh, partly his fault and partly, you know, uh, a referee getting too involved in a match. But in the end, it's on us to make sure that the referees can't get that involved in matches. And so those are some of the smaller goals that I have underneath that greater standard of serving God that we, that, we, that I still want to accomplish.